This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore. Ken Tripp is off filming the Green Berets this week, but worry not, you won't have to listen to just me this episode. I am very happy to be joined by Trek FM's content manager and a voice that's getting a lot of play around the network recently, Mr. Justin Oser. What's up, Justin? Hi. Just happy to be here on Standard Orbit. Yeah, I'm kind of making my way around the network, it seems like. <laughs> it seems that way, yeah. <laughs> so, Justin, uh, you had a show idea for us this week, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Why don't you preface what we're going to be discussing tonight on Standard Orbit. Sure. Well, I wanted to talk about um, the episode Aaron of Mercy, uh, first season episode. We get the introduction of the the Klingons. And I, I've always, it's always been one of my favorites. I think that there's there's a lot of, of interesting things going on in, in the episode, discussions about, you know, war and peace and torture and and what you do if you have a lot of power and things like that. So I really wanted to talk about this episode, which I think uh, hasn't been focused on specifically before on Standard Orbit. Yeah, Aaron and Mercy, you know, for me, it's not one of the episodes that I grew up watching a lot. Uh, I grew up watching whatever episodes my parents had taped off TV, uh, so it, it didn't happen to be in that collection. Uh, so, you know, I grew up with episodes, you know, like Arena or City and Legend Forever or Trouble Tribbles or even like the Savage Curtain, right? So episodes like that, ones that I'd revisit, revisit, revisit. Aaron and Mercy, I, I haven't seen it that many times, so it's still pretty fresh, so you know, it's actually going to be fun to discuss this one because it's, it's not one that I've you know, uh, lived with and said all I had to say <laughs> in my nerdy conversations over the years. So uh, it, it's cool when you, when you revisit these episodes that you haven't seen in so long or haven't seen very much of, and it's almost like discovering new Star Trek in a way. Yeah, and you, you know, I, I haven't talked about it too much elsewhere on, on the network, but I'm actually a fairly recent uh, Star Trek fan as far as being like a big fan of, of Star Trek. Um, I... The first thing that I remember seeing was uh, Star Trek VI in, in the theaters. So that was 1991. Of course, that was a while ago. But um, it didn't necessarily make a huge impression. I thought, this is great. And I kind of moved on. But it was really uh, the Kelvin Timeline movie starting with 2009 that really made me a big fan and caused me to go back and, and really watch everything in, in Star Trek. And I started out with TNG and went on to DS9 and Voyager and, and uh, kind of continued from there. And it took me a little time to kind of come back to the original series. So I don't think that I actually saw this episode until about two years ago, and I've just seen it a couple of times. So I don't know, maybe that'll give it a different different perspective. But, uh, you know, my history with Star Trek, I think, is a little bit different than uh, than some other people around the network. Oh, it's awesome, man. I mean, it's great how many different roads there are to Star Trek for so many people. I mean, that is exactly what is so great about the Kelvin timeline is because, you know, you had seen Star Trek in the past, you're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But Abrams movies come out, reinvigorates whatever you know fandom flame you might have had there, uh, and now here you are on a Star Trek podcast. So, yeah, <laughs> little did you know. <laughs> little did I know. I mean, and now it's it's kind of like grown over time, and now it's such a such a big part of my life. I'm watching Star Trek every day, reading Star Trek novels, listening to Star Trek podcasts, and you know, interacting on Facebook and Twitter and all of that. So it's kind of grown into this huge thing where it wasn't that much a part of my life even ten years ago. 
to that point, then I'm just curious for, for the Kelvin timeline movies, right? How how would you rank them since they're like your entry point into Star Trek? Yeah, at this point, I would I would rank Beyond first. I think it's the mm-hmm. best of the three, and then 2009, and then Into Darkness. That's pretty good order, right there. Yeah. My my thing, it's, I go back and forth with Beyond and 09 because I think I feel like as a whole, Beyond is like a better overall movie and story. Uh, it has more to it, you know, more depth to it. But with 09, there's so many great moments. Like mm-hmm. I think that, so it's uh it balances out so well, and it's it's tough. But yeah, if I had to, if I had to make a call, I would rank those the same way as well. And hopefully, we will have many more Kevin Timeline movies to rank <laughs> in the future. I so. certainly hope so. Yeah, let's go, man. Well, let's go back in time, much like Spock did, and Nero in Star Trek 09, and talk about Aaron of Mercy. Now, this episode is the first appearance of the Klingons in Star Trek canon. I mean, that is that's crazy because this is at the tail end of season one yeah. of the original series. You look back at, you know, you look back at the original Star Trek and like, oh, the Klingons are there the whole time. Ah, it's like, oh, not really, were they? No, I mean, this is episode, I think it's 26 or 27 of the first season. So no Klingons before that. And I mean, of course, people, I think, uh, have this idea that the Klingons appear a lot in the original series, but it's really not a, a huge number of, of, of episodes. I mean, it's it's... It's uh, Errand of Mercy and um, Trouble with Tribbles, Day of the Dove, Friday's Child, probably missing one or two in there, but it's not a huge number of, of Private episodes. Private Little War. Private Little War, that's the other one. Uh, yeah. Atlanta of Troyes. Right. And that's... Well, there's... And Savage Curtain. Savage so Curtain, yeah. Seven. Seven I out think of that might be it. Seventy-nine. Oh, oh, do we say Day of the Dove? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, not a huge number. <laughs> if, if we're wrong, someone will let us know, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that probably gets the... the the main ones but yeah i mean it's i mean they appeared a a good deal but but not you know all the time and i think the they became more prominent when you get to the movies and you know tng and ds9 yeah and if you look back at the original series you you remember the big three klingons core Mm -hmm. koloth and kang well, you know, if, if the powers that be had had their way back in the day, you wouldn't have all those Klingons. It'd just be core because John Colicos is core. He was planned to be in A Private Little War, Trouble with Tribbles, and Day of the Dove. And just with right. the scheduling conflicts, he couldn't make it. So we got a bunch of Klingon characters, you know, three of which became iconic and came back on Deep Space Nine. So it, it yep. just it's became part of the, the deeper tapestry of Star Trek. And I love that when production things get incorporated into the universe somehow and then it just becomes, like... Star Trek as we know it like it becomes the mythology of Star Trek and I love that little wrinkle in things yeah definitely I mean I I, I do find it interesting that they they wanted to to bring him back I mean I think um he makes such a great impression as as core you know I was I was rewatching it uh yesterday and and he does such, such an amazing job and really you know sets the stage for all of the performances I think you see for for Klingons later on Right, I mean, he was the template. Him and the makeup director, uh, John Chambers, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm mistaken, someone let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they invented the Klingon look in a, like a couple of hours, uh, because uh, in the script, uh, Gene Kuhn only described him as, and I quote, "hard-faced Asian types." That's the only yes. true description, uh, and that's you know that's a pretty vague. That could mean anything, right? And so. John Colicos came up with the, the Fu Manchu kind of Genghis Khan look and with the hair and the darker skin. And it, it's just crazy. This is how Cleons look you know, for a few years until the motion picture, right? But right. they just established the main villains of Star Trek look like in a makeup chair in a couple of hours. And again, it's going back to what I'm talking about. Uh, and, it, and it just became so iconic. Now, he's... <laughs> he's the most made up Klingon. I mean, I wish they would have spent a little more time on all the other the guys. Other ones that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're just, you know, regular humans just in some other uniforms pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You know, even, even his first interest is kind of like, kind of like Darth Vader esque, right? You get that the two guards that come in and he comes mm-hmm. through the open door. And it's like, they, they knew like, this is like, this is like a big deal. This guy, he's a big villain. And, and he's not just two dimensional. And that's what much like the Romulan commander before him uh, in balance with terror. Like these guys are three dimensional, characters they're not just you know black-headed bad guys like i'm gonna get i'm gonna take over this colony and get you kirk he has a lot of personality yes you know i mean he, he he's frustrated at the fact that these organians on this planet are just smiling all the time he and he's he's very uh, savvy as well he notices that kirk and spock are different he's like where are your smiles you know 
<laughs> That's right. He's he's very observant about what's going on. I mean, at the same time, he's willing to use you know brutality to to get what he wants. But but he is definitely very observant and thoughtful and and more three dimensional. I mean, it's actually pretty impressive inside of the the episode that you get to see all of these different aspects um, of of this villain. Yeah. Yeah, and he sees the similarities between the Klingon Empire and Starfleet, and Kirk doesn't. And I like yep. that because Kirk in this episode, right? Kirk, the, uh, he's um, he's an imperfect protagonist, right? And I like that because he, he's relatable because he gets so frustrated. I mean, he's so just angry at the Arganians the whole time. Uh, and that's just like, you know what? I don't, I don't see Picard ever doing that, but I like that about Kirk because he's, he's flawed, you know? Yeah, and well, that's what I find fascinating. I mean, it definitely points up uh, his flaws and it's, it's trying to, you know, really make the point that these these Klingons are introduced as being so incredibly brutal, but really when it comes down to it, Kirk is just as eager to, to have a war that might kill millions of people as core or any of, of the Klingons are. And, and they kind of share that in common and it points up, um, you know, the commonalities you wouldn't have thought of maybe at the beginning of the episode when they're first introduced. Right. And the Klingons are more self-aware of it than Kirk is. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, they, they know exactly what they want and they're willing to go to war and core at the end says oh it would have been glorious if we would have been able to but kirk's actually embarrassed by it he's like man i was going to go to war and we didn't really have to so yeah you're right they're more aware of what they're doing and and um and kirk really really isn't and it points up you know some of the the flaws in his character but you know he does recognize that at a certain point it's it's to his credit that that he recognizes where he he was going but uh yeah he was kind of i think deluding himself for for a lot of the episode and saying you know what right do you have to stop us from doing this and and one of the reasons i really like the episode is that um it really kind of gives a a way of of enforcing you know peace and and trying to to get two peoples that want to go to, to war with each other to really look at themselves and and try to restrain them from what they're doing i actually uh, I, I really like that in the episode. Yeah, I mean, this was a science fiction version of what was going on in the political culture of the 60s, right? You had yeah. the Americans being Starfleet. You had the Russians, the communists uh, being uh, the Klingons, right? And, you know, the, of course, the uh, Romulans at this point were uh, the Chinese. That was kind of the idea. And the, and the Klingons were the, the Russians. And, you know, and Organia was, you know, Vietnam or Korea or, or whatever disputed territory at the time you want to call it. Um, yeah. I do, and th- th- that's a strong point. I, I, I feel like that translates a little more A to B in an episode like Private Little War, where it doesn't turn out like, oh, the natives are super powerful godlike beings. <laughs> Stop the fighting. So I think that, and that's a really cool sci-fi twist. I did enjoy that because you're, you're thinking the whole episode because they're doing odd things. They're like, oh, eight ships are now in orbit and hundreds of men have transported down. And Spock's like, Spock and Kirk, how do, like, how do they know this? Uh, but uh, it's a cool sci-fi twist. But at the same time, it, it kind of blurs the uh, parallels to you know the, the actual political climate going on. So I mean, I, I guess it's a give and take there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think for for the Organians, it's interesting. They're they're really trying to do things from a point of of non interference. Like we don't want to interfere with what you're doing. Do whatever you want as long as there's not violence or harm. But they're kind of forced toward the end to um, to to restrain them and to interfere. It's like they have their own prime directive for for what they can and and can't do. And they're really trying to to strictly enforce it and. And they're just really pained at the end that they have to actually do something to to restrain them. Now, have you seen Enterprise where the Organians come back? I have, yeah. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because you know I've I thought I had seen everything in Star Trek, but I realized I had, the other day that I had skipped over the Observer effect. So I was like, oh, we're going to be talking about an episode of the Organians. I I need to uh, <laughs> I need to rewatch that. But yeah, I just saw it, and that's actually a really good I think a really good follow up episode. To, to see, you know, kind of what, what they were like before what we see in, in Errand of Mercy. Yeah, they got their uh, predictions wrong when uh, I think they said about 5,000 years <laughs> to meet yeah. the... Uh, <laughs> be ready in 5,000 years. Oops, they came by a little bit early. <laughs> right, no. That's interesting, though. I think, uh, you know, Enterprise, it was, it was hit or miss with those prequel episodes. I mean, for every uh, Observer effect, you get a uh, acquisition. <clears throat> but anyway, mm. moving, on from, <laughs> moving on from that. I'm not a fan uh, of that one either. It was, uh, I mean, I, 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 it was interesting that they would go back to them in a prequel. 
as opposed to a sequel because there's so many super powerful godlike beings on the original series like we're not gonna listen here maybe we'll do an episode about that one day (laughs) comparing them all but you get kind of desensitized to it after a certain point on tos like oh look super powerful being they're gonna step in and end the fighting this and that and then where do these where are the all these beings come the 24th century right uh i mean it's a big galaxy don't get me wrong i don't feel like we need to account for all them but you do wonder like what what happened to these guys right what's the deal well, I think probably after this time, everybody just steers clear because they don't want to have to deal with these these beings that if you try to you know interfere, or commit any kind of violence, they'll just they'll just restrain everything you want to do. So I think probably everybody just knows like, hey, just avoid this planet. The Organians are are too much trouble. Put out those orange cones around the surface. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with, with the uh, the faux appearance of the Organians, right? What did you think about that? Because Spock summarizes at the end of the episode that it was uh, created so that visitors such as themselves could have conventional points of reference so almost like like when the the voyager crew went to the q continuum right and we see the old dusty road and uh, all that so i i that's weird that they would feel the need to even do that you know i just thought that again a cool sci-fi twist i don't know it was thought all the way through so i think that kind of that makes the episode not quite the classic that other ones are because you when you start to think about it you're like well that was that was odd. They just put on this facade of being a pre-industrial village that hasn't changed in thousands of years just so the Klingons and the Federation could have somebody to talk to. You know, I, I don't know. That, that struck me as odd. Yeah, now that I think about it, maybe it is a little bit odd, but maybe you could think about it in terms of their uh, their policy of, of non-interference. I mean, maybe they were trying to project this idea that they weren't threatening, you know, maybe saying, there's nothing here. You don't need to visit. Just just keep on moving. But if they do happen to to come down, I think they would want to to kind of show what's what's been expected. Although Spock does say in the episode that that they seem to be less technologically advanced than they would have thought. From I don't know if they had other observations or a probe or something like that. But yeah, it does seem a little odd. Yeah, and then they they disappear into you know beings of pure energy and just leave you know all all these surroundings behind so what is it just like an empty planet now (laughs) (laughs) well the organians maybe just didn't explain all of uh the things that they do maybe they just wanted to leave this in place just to observe them at that point and and see well yeah but but they do this is a rare bit of continuity that continues on past this episode in tos because they they mentioned the they mentioned the organian peace treaty in the future uh which is why the klingons and the federation aren't at war so that's uh that's that's interesting that they would they would call back to this, and I'm glad they recognize it because this is a, this is a major thing, guys. Because you know a lot of episodes are like, oh, we're we're going to war, and you don't go to war. You you know you're not going to war, right? Because it's a, it's an alien you're never going to see again, or something like that, right? But with the Klingons, I mean, they didn't know this at the time, but they said, okay, we're going to bring these guys back. The whole climax of their last appearance was, we can't go to war because the super powerful race stopped us. We have to address that in some aspect, and I appreciated that. Oh yeah, definitely, and I think I think there are some books as well that mention that, like, oh, we've got this Organian peace treaty. We've got to be careful with the Klingons, you know. Yeah, so it does it does have this impact, and I guess you can think of it affecting their decisions in the background, even when they're not mentioning it. You know, I thought, and, and I'm thinking about a lot of different. Uh, I, I thought about a lot of different ways this episode kind of echoed in later Star Trek watching it, right? Because I think about okay, the Organians are kind of like the prophets in Deep Space Nine, where they kind of interfere mm-hmm. with the Dominion War. You know, and not in the same way, obviously, but, you know, they do step in and help the Cisco out uh, later on. Spoilers. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, I also thought, you know, the way the Organians are presenting themselves here to get back to them, uh, it's kind of like the Baku, right? Just a very, like, simple, you know, no technology. We're just here on our planet doing our thing, you know, kind of kind of way. Uh, although theirs was just a facade, you know, they, they were beings of pure energy. But I did, I did, and, that's, and I keep coming back to this ending, right? Because I'm just thinking about it, and, like, I... I they do just disappear, and that's odd. And I thought, you know what, that, that's kind of enlightening to, th- to think that uh, if this was their natural state, they just chose to be this way because, like, they've, in all their, you know, thousands of years of evolution or whatever, they've decided, you know what, this is the most content state of being, just, you know, being happy and farming the land and, you know, being pre-industrial. Like, I think maybe there would be something to say for that because as plugged in as we are today, uh, I think we all have that that inner calling to be like, man, I wish I could just, like, get away from it all and unplug. And, you know, maybe they've reached that higher form of enlightenment and be like, you know what, this is this is the best way to live life. We, we've run around for thousands of years. We've lived it all. But this is what we choose. You know, I think that would have been an interesting way to do it. And I guess you could still see it that way. The episode is vague enough at the end that maybe once everybody leaves, they say, okay, are they all gone? All right, let's go back to what we're doing. <laughs> So. That could be. I mean, it, it, it could also be that um, 
you know, they wanted to to appear in some kind of uh, humanoid form as another uh, means of, of non-interference because, you know, once, once um, you know, the Klingons and Starfleet know that there are these powerful beings, it's going to affect, or it might affect their societal development or, or how they think about things. Because I think even at the end, uh, Kirk says something like uh, that it's going to affect him uh, knowing that, you know, they're not the most powerful thing out there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe they just... As opposed to, like, three weeks ago when I met Charlie X and, you know, and the yeah, Metrons well. and the... <laughs> no, I was thinking about that, too. Like, oh, you've met some powerful beings before, but okay. <laughs> right, Squire Gothos, but anyway, <laughs> but, move on. Yeah, but, but I mean, in, in, inside of this episode, uh, the Organians, I think, affect things probably more than those those other... Uh, powerful beings that they've encountered because they had the power to stop their fleets and to I think they say stand on their home world and you know prevent them from doing anything so out of all the powerful beings they actually seem like the most powerful because they're able to have such a huge impact across a large part of the galaxy that's a great point I'm glad you brought that up he he said that I as I stand here I stand on your home world and your home world <laughs> and I thought like was he, is he like projecting himself he's like up in the sky you know that was what, what was your take on that? Because I thought that was a very interesting concept that they could just project themselves across the galaxy in that way. You know, I didn't really think of it literally that they're standing on their homeworld, but I think he meant it in a similar way to, you know, they, they made the, they stopped their, their uh, the ships in, in the fleet from, from operating and they made all of these weapons too hot to handle, that it was the same kind of thing, like all of the activity that could in any way relate to violence or war or their ships or anything was stopped. I don't take it as they were literally being kind of projected like that mm-hmm. well you know they were super powerful like, they could do it if they wanted but uh seems like it <laughs> yeah but you know we've been talking about the fleets here and this episode again i wasn't very familiar with it so watching off the top I'm like oh cleon ship space battle they just blew one up at the yep. you know, before the opening credits like this is pretty intense for star trek right <laughs> yeah that that's definitely true but i think when it when it was originally broadcast, they didn't even show the ship itself, the D7. They just showed an explosion. And it was only added back in, or not added back in, but added in for the remastered, right? Correct. That That is some retroactive uh, retconning <laughs> there from, from the remastered team, which is, you know, completely appropriate now that we know what a Klingon ship looks like. Yeah. Uh, they, they did it here. They did it in, uh, I, I think they did it. To a certain extent, in Friday's Child, I think they made a different Klingon ship, but it was like it was just a blob before, and then they made it like a Klingon design ship. Yeah. We saw a uh, Kolos ship in Trouble of Tribbles, you know, and this is all pre season three. And season three is when they built the D7, then it also became the Romulan ship, which I love talking about. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's interesting that that, that that is cool because look, if they had a ship, they had the money, you would have seen it, you know, sure. and uh, that's something you know that that uh, everybody was like, you know, we, when you have this list of episodes for when they did remastered right They're like oh man doomsday machine oh man uh, ultimate computer i can't wait to see those you get to air and mercy and you're like oh well, well, it would be nice to see the the klingon fleet and the, and the star fleet fleet you know uh, <laughs> but there's no time in the episode you can't right. like, create new scenes and they only did that a couple of times and it was only like a mock time for example they created a new wide shot with kirk spock and mccoy walking to the arena uh, mm. But I thought that was fine because it's like, look, we, it's kind of it's on, it's borderline George Lucas, but it's not quite because like, look, they're just walking. Don't you want to see the scope of it all? And you know, when Spock's beaming out, they do a similar thing. So um, there was just no time to edit in. I don't know where they could have. Now they, we did see some Klingon ships, you know, uh, from a distance. No, we didn't see yeah. any kind of. Well, there wasn't a battle anyway, so there's nothing to see. So again, uh, remastered. I think they took it as far as they could without like. I mean, you can't yeah. edit out any of the story. Right. Well, I think it would have it would have changed how you perceive the episode if they had a shot like here are the big fleets, like some DS9 style shot where there's like, you know, dozens or hundreds of ships. I think it would change how how you see the episode. And I think that um, one of the things I found interesting was the things that maybe they didn't have the resources to show, but but that actually were really effective that because they didn't show it. So, you know, course talking about this device to be able to scan your mind or 
mind or the mind sifter the mind sifter or at the higher setting the mind ripper (laughs) (laughs) so you know they're they're describing it and they give it all these different names and kind of leave it up to your imagination to think of of how awful that would be and i think it's actually more effective than if they had a scene of like spock suffering or whatever um I, i i kind of like in this instance that they Maybe they didn't have the time or the resources to show a scene like that, but you're just imagining as as Core is describing it how brutal it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you know the theater of the mind is the most effective one for sure. And uh, you know, talking about the beginning of the episode a little bit, I I, I did love this was another uh, a case of them saying uh, the Klingon ship or a ship detected in this quadrant. <laughs> that that yes. always makes me laugh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, we should talk about this show in the continuity episode, right? <laughs> I know, going from quadrant to quadrant. <laughs> yes, right. And then, you know, we, we have a, another instance of Vulcanian. I believe this is the last, the last time. One. Yeah, and then it's interchangeable. Like, sometimes he's referred to as Vulcanian and Vulcan in this very same episode. That's right. So uh, that almost makes it okay. You know, it's like, okay, we're just we're going to mix these together. So it can be, like, either way. Like, I know there's some... I don't know if there's, like, some cities, like, uh, that you can call... Like, I'm from Houston, right? So... I'm a Houstonian, but I guess right. people could call me a Houstonite if they really wanted to. Like, I don't know, like Boston, right? What are, what are, what are people from Boston called, Justin? Do you know? Because I don't know. Bostonian. Bostonian, right? But could it... Huh, I got Ken, you know. Right? I'm sorry, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bostonite, you know? I don't know. I mean, you could, right? So um, Right, maybe. Like, I, and I think... Pretty sure, you know, up the road... Hey, we're both fellow Texans, by the way. So, Texas right. forever, brother. Uh, <laughs> Austin, right? They're called Austinites, are they not? That one I don't know. There's some cities I don't know what. Because <laughs> it's they like call I don't themselves. think I don't think they're called Austonians. I think they're because you know that's Bostonians. I'm pretty sure they're called Austinites. So anyway, all that to say, there's 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 plenty of of uh, pronunciations. I would love in Star Trek Discovery if they break out some Vulcanians, right? Just just somebody just say that. I'd be like, yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> somebody <laughs> as, watch the original series. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's just an al- an alternate thing. I, yeah, I don't know it using you know, Vulcan and Vulcanian in the same episode. I, it, it does feel odd, and I'm not sure if they just weren't sure what to use or they thought <laughs> that there would be some kind of explanation. I don't know. But it, it always strikes me as odd the few mm-hmm. times that you hear it. Well, and, you know, Kirk has a pseudonym, right, uh, in this episode. But Spock is like, I am Spock. I am a Vulcan merchant. Like, come on, Spock. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure you're pretty famous, too. Kor knows who Kirk is, right? Once he finds out who he is, he's like, the light is, ooh, the captain of the Enterprise. Exactly. I like that, oh, too. Yeah. Like, he's familiar with him, like, by reputation, but he doesn't, like, know what he looks like. So when Man, he, when he, he does, finds he doesn't out have him, he doesn't have the Kirk trading card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. He's not going through the holograms. You know, like, was, Nero has those holograms of Spock and stuff. Yeah, I was, uh, I was thinking, like, wouldn't, I mean, if Kirk is a Starfleet captain and, you know, assigned to that quadrant or whatever it is i mean wouldn't he quadrant, know yes <laughs> would, wouldn't they have some intelligence or know what kirk would look like one would think but i was hoping like oh man maybe, so if, if, I, if i remade this episode i would have him go by selic you know his, his <laughs> it's just his pseudonym from yesteryear in the animated series uh-huh. i would make that like i would make it like spock's thing right whenever he's like undercomes like, oh i'm selic you know yeah uh, i thought that'd be cool you know what i i i half ex- expected spock you know in some way to hide his ears just put on like a little hat or something but Nope. Everybody's going to know he's Vulcan. <laughs> it's always funny to see in all the different episodes the, the ways they cover up his ears. Yeah. And uh, they just didn't even bother with this one. He just said he was a Vulcan trader. Vulcan traders are most common, Captain. So Yes. Uh. <laughs> no, and, and, um, and I'm not remembering. So when's the first time we see, for some situation, Spock cover up his ears? Is it City on the Edge of Forever or is there something before that? Uh, let's see. There's Assignment Earth and which is patterns of two. force and piece of the action sort of because he has the hats um i believe yeah i believe sydney on the edge of forever is the only time because he doesn't go down to earth and tomorrow's yesterday so he doesn't cover up his ears so so that no that hadn't that hadn't happened just just uh just a couple episodes away we hadn't thought about that for a few episodes okay right i wasn't sure but so but i'm sure if it had happened before they would have been like hey spock here's a hat you're an organian now (laughs) (laughs) you know kirk and spock here you you could see gene coon's hand in this writing obviously he wrote this episode but the the kind of funny interplay between kirk and spock you know talking about the odds and all this stuff that's total gene coon like late season two like playing up the interplay and comedy between the characters wasn't it yeah, now when I and, and I love that you know where Spock is really specific, like it's seven thousand eight hundred and twenty four point seven to one. Uh, what that's and you he had said something about it not being uh, 
precise, but you know, sure sounds precise to Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, amazing we made it this far. So <laughs> the running commentary yeah. is it's amazing on <clears throat> on that. And even uh you know, e- even when Kirk is like cuz you know we, we were talking about Kirk and how kind of has a has a chip on his shoulder this episode. He's more of an attitude and uh, Spock is yeah. like holding him back from like beating up a clean. I was like, "Well, I'm like, sorry. wait a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My friend wasn't look where he was going. We'll be more careful next time." You know, it's like Spock standing up for Kirk and uh, and he was like, "Did you think I was going to beat his head in?" He's like, "You might have." He's like, "Oh, you might have been right." So <laughs> it's just funny interplay between them, but this honestly and i know it's like you know it's a stretch right but this kind of like anger towards the klingons like it reminded remind me of star trek 6 when he just really hates the klingons uh because uh he he just is so indignant in this episode and warning of the organians about them and and then i think that his frustrations with that kind of bleeds over to the organians almost because like when he's talking to them uh he's like i have no great love for you or your way of life but we're gonna go out there and we're gonna try to help you people <laughs> you know even if you don't want it uh and then he even earlier like he tells him like i'm used to the idea of dying but i have no desire to die for the likes of you it's like man yeah that is brutal kirk and accord agrees with him he's like oh i know what you mean <laughs> yeah he yeah he was he was being like he was really mood <laughs> real yeah really in a mood i mean this is the first time of course we on screen see see the klingons but you figure that kirk's had some other dealings and he has a great dislike for them um and and then of course you know maybe even more so for the Organians. He's like, what are you doing? These people are going to oppress you. You're going to have no freedom. We can help you. We'll help build up your infrastructure and your defenses. And they're like, oh, we don't need that. And he's like, what are you talking about? Of course you need it. (laughs) So yeah, he gets frustrated in like all these different directions in this episode. He's like a raw nerve. Of all those lines, though, my favorite line was probably uh, when, when they help them escape from jail and they're coming back to the Organian council chamber. He says, what are you waiting for the Klingons to post a reward so you can turn us in again and collect it? <laughs> so good. I love it. Yeah, because I think, I mean, Kirk's really confused. He's like, okay, so you allowed us to come into this jail and now you're breaking us out. How can I possibly trust you? This makes no sense at all. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, one thing I think about in, in the episode is, you know, I know the Organians are all about non-interference, but couldn't they at some point you know, when when they see the situation going on, just pull Kirk and Spock aside and be like, look, here's what's going on. And we just want you to understand. And uh, we're all about non-interference. And uh, let's see how we can work this out. Well, I think I think they're about to. Uh, because when they first, when Kirk's first down there doing his plea, he gives them a moment to confer with themselves. Then he comes back and they decided they still don't need his help. And, and he's, he's still like trying to work on him. He's like, Captain, I, it's clear to us you don't understand us, you know. And then Kirk gets a call from Sulu that the Klingons are attacking, and then that kind of like the conversation just veers off in a whole other area. Uh, but that's what I, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, could you have just taken five minutes, pulled them aside, tell them what was them? And I think that's where they were going to do it, but then everything just escalated from there, and there was no really opportunity to. That's true, yeah. Um, but but I, I do find, you know, the. One of the things I find really fascinating about the Organians is, you know, oftentimes in, in Star Trek, there's, you know, some, some new alien race um, and maybe they start off as hostile or maybe eventually they're hostile. But here's one that's really just trying their best to not have any hostility and not intervene. And if anything, it probably makes Kirk angrier than if they had just been hostile right away. You know, at least he could understand that. Yeah, the apathy is the most frustrating thing of all, right? He's like, what is with you people? Don't you want to, you know, help yourselves or advance yourselves? And yeah, but 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 I, I, I do like that because I think, you know, oftentimes um, there is a, a lot of hostility that's coming from from different alien races that we see in, in Star Trek. But I think it's it's likely that they'll there would be you know a good portion out there as well that might be like the Organians that are like look we don't want to make any trouble you know just just uh, you know don't worry about us we're okay you know right the pacifist the true yeah, pacifist there must be some out there right well, in the in the original series and this is something that's played up and that in the original series you know being uh, the Klingons being the Russia of the of TOS uh, you know it's it's an empire right they're, they're conquering you know planets or nations right and they're they're like this anti-federation right right uh that's something that they lose sight of in the tng era and beyond because it's like the klingon empire is just klingons you know that's it. i mean every now and then like uh in the mind's eye they have Krios as a, as a klingon planet right but it's not all mm-hmm. i assume it's not all klingons uh but that, that's something that that i think that because you know the russia metaphor went to the wayside that came to the samurai vikings and ronald d moore 
uh, TNG moving forward. So that's something that is an interesting aspect to them because, you know, they're philosophically, you know, doing the same thing. They're going, they're expanding the manifest destiny, they're expanding their territory, all this stuff, and they would naturally come into conflict with each other because they want the same area. That's, the, you know, that's, that's what happens. So that, that's interesting to see that here, you see in Private Little War, you see him talk about it in, in TOS, you know, Sherman's Planet and uh, <laughs> Trouble Betrayal, stuff like that, uh, contested territory, all that stuff. And that's something that, it's, something, it's an element that's lost to the Klingons, and I think it was, uh, you know, hey, again, Discovery, I don't know, maybe we'll see something then. This is the same era, more or less, pre-OS, as our friend Nick Anastasio coined it. I'm uh, going to use that terminology as much as I can. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we'll we'll get, you know, some kind of, of more background about that. You know, one, one other way in which this episode, I think, is really important is um, Aylborn's, uh comment at the end that in the future, the, you know, Klingons and and uh, the Federation will work together and become fast friends, which of course you know does happen in uh, in the TNG era, and you see it in Star Trek Six as well. So I kind of like that they they took that little kernel and and really built on it later. Yeah, I mean, completely. I'm sure at the time it's like it's a one off. Oh, yeah. It's a one-off. Klingons are one-off. The Organians are one-off. The future is just completely hypothetical. It's like, oh yes, in the far. It's like the Q telling Riker, like, oh, one day your your guys are going to evolve even more powerful than the Q, right? Uh, yeah. And that's okay. We're never going to see that. But that is because Star Trek lasted so long and the story went so many places. It is so cool. You're right to go back and see that. Like, oh man, they didn't know what they were doing, but they called it in the '60s. That was so cool. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean, because of course at the time they they were like, you know, this show will probably be forgotten about in a couple of years, but uh, hey, this sounds like a cool line to throw in. And of course, they pick it up in the TNG era, and I just really, I really love that that bit. And whenever I see this episode, I'm like, ah, that's where the the little kernel was planted for for everything that came later. And and I I really like in in Star Trek how how things evolve with with the Klingons from this episode all the way through. And of course, you know, we'll see more probably evolution and, and different aspects. I mean, from this, from this one episode, from this, this start, it, it just kind of became all of these, uh, these different, you know, Klingon characters and iterations. And we've gotten to know, you know, so much about, about them, uh, especially in the 24th century. I just like that, you know, this, this was all the start of that. Yeah, you know, uh, you even see Kors Baldrick in the original. That's uh, right. <laughs> Worst wearing original. it for the first season of TNG. <laughs> yeah. like, and as I understand, it was like the same prop. It was the, <laughs> like they yeah. just took it out of storage. As I understand, it's exa- it's exactly the same one. And I think if you look at the first season of TNG, which I was rewatching recently, I mean, it, I think it's it's pretty clear that you know it at least looks very similar, but it's not quite as shiny <laughs> as in this episode. But I. I think it's exactly it's supposed to be exactly the same one. They just pulled it out and they're like, "Here you go." <laughs> That's crazy. And I would I wonder if there's any any attempt has ever been made to explain why Worf has that because you know starting the second season he's got the silver one and it's got well they change little logos on his Baldrick as well because it yeah. eventually becomes the House of Moog and they change it to House of Martok and that's cool. Yeah, it's just one of those things you just kind of like look. It's like O'Brien having Lieutenant Pips, right? You just look over it. You know, it's like ah, oh, they haven't quite figured it out yet. It's fine, uh, but it's just a cool like legacy. Uh, Star Trek Legacy going all the way to uh, next gen, and you know, even if, even if I'm not sure why they changed it, maybe it was worse for wear, maybe it was the color, but the gold would not have gone with the green the way it went with the red. So <laughs> I'm glad he changed his right. Baldrick for season two. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we could we could have some head cannon where um, where somehow that original Baldrick from from Core was was passed along to the House of Moog because they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were friendly with Kors House. I don't know, but oh, they should—they totally should have done that in the Sword of Kalos. Worf was like, "Oh man, I had your Baldrick. I had your sash." <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. Oh yeah. man, uh, come on, Ronald D. Moore, step your game up now. Uh, but for you know, for all these Klingons, though, I do—I don't know. I—I I, I gotta say, you know, he's the original. Maybe that's why. And and, and he got more screen time appearing on D Space Nine three times yeah. uh, as opposed to the one the the other two TOS Klingons did. Core is my favorite of the TOS Klingons. What about you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really like them all and they're, and they're different in different ways, but, but yeah, because we do get to see Korn three different DS9 episodes, you get to, to see more of his personality and who he is. I, I do like Korn quite a bit, but I, I like all three of them a lot. And man, that was just amazing seeing all of them in, in Blood Oath together. You know? No love for Crass from Friday's Child, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make as much of an impression, I guess. <laughs> and he died at the end, so. <laughs> and well, I don't yeah, even know, true. I don't even know if the guy from Private Little War had a name. I think it was just Klingon. I mean, please let us know in the comments, guys. Uh, not quite the encyclopedic knowledge that I sometimes claim to have about <laughs> about TOS, oh, but so, I, I don't think he had a name. <laughs> there's there's so much to know about, but I don't I don't think so either. But 
but yeah, I mean, Cork Kang and Koloff, I think, are the ones right. who made the biggest impression. Now, I, I always thought this, uh, and I don't know if I, if I, I might have seen this idea online somewhere and, and ran with it, but it would be cool because, you know, we, there's a lot of Klingons in the TOS movies, right? And yeah. so you think, man, you know, if they would have, um, okay, like TNG, right? They took the Duroth sisters and they became a villain in Generations, right? Mm-hmm. So if the original series movies are thinking on a little different track, and I understand why they went the way they original characters, big name actors, totally understand. I love Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Plummer as the Klingons, absolutely. But if you were going to take these TOS Klingons and transpose them, you know, have them return in the original series movies, I think uh, Core here would have been an excellent Chang in, in Star Trek Six, like laughing and quoting things and just enjoying the battle because he, he finally got the glorious battle that he wanted with Kirk. Now that's one way to do it. And, you know, obviously... Uh, if you if you have to break it all down, then uh, Koloth would be you know the washed up ambassador in Star Trek Five. I think that would fit him well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Kang would be uh, you know crew from Star Trek Three. Uh, you know a, you know hand hand combat kind of stuff going on with Kirk. So I th- I think that all huh. fits really well if you wanted to look at it that way. Uh, like oh in a what if scenario if these guys were, if they write like a, a Star Trek Infinities comic and they just want to do that <laughs> I think that'd be cool but uh, <laughs> but definitely uh, Core fits the best of you know if you were going to take him I think he fits the Chang role very well. Oh yeah, and and I love some of the things that uh, that Core says in this episode. I think he's talking to Kirk at one point and he says, "Good honest hatred." How very refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he has so much character. He really relishes all this and and yeah because oh, yeah. he's so disgusted this planet of, of sheep. That he complains yeah. about because so because I'm I'm sure the Klingons they they get an enjoyment you know the the savagery of them gets an enjoyment of conquering a race right like oh yeah. look at them cower in fear and these guys are like oh sure just do whatever you want you know and they and they probably get enjoyment from the resistance right like if there there are people that are there they're resisting them or fighting them or doing these things they're like ah a chance for for battle and and these people that are like yeah sure whatever you'll have no trouble from us they're like ah. Oh. How disgusting these people are they're not even a challenge and at one point i think course says like am i gonna kill all of them like how <laughs> ridiculous is this i've never had to do that before you know yeah i'm sure it was a new experience for them but um but you know switching over to uh to to the enterprise which you don't see very much in this episode um first of all sulu's left in command this is one of the uh, only times we get to see him in the center seat because uh, right. he'd been left in command in arena he was still at, at his station i guess there wasn't enough extras that day to fill in <laughs> to fill in for sulu uh at the station and uh scotty not in this episode so uh, of course he's this you know it's the first season they hadn't quite established the chain of command yet right. uh so obviously he would he would go on to be like the uh the go-to guy when the when the big three were off the ship and this is only one of three episodes that mccoy does not appear in that's right. That is, re- it's it's a really unusual episode in that way. But yeah, seeing seeing Sulu in uh, in command is really cool. Makes me wonder if if that that gave him you know a want to be a, a captain later that we see in Star Trek Six. But um, but yeah, they they were still working on establishing things. And yeah, I think it yeah it's only a couple episodes that that McCoy isn't in. I mean, if he was in this episode, what would his role be, or would it make sense for him to go down to the planet? I mean, if he was in there, where would you want to see him yeah i I don't know it's nice just to have a Kirk and Spock adventure you That's know? true just just the two of them uh, it would have been kind of pushing if they have the three guys you know they have to worry about down there. You know, we talk about time now. I mean, there's 50 minutes there for for t- you know, 55, whatever it was back in the 60s. Lots of you know, lots of story to be told there. You can't not every character can get their moment in the sun. So I don't know. Like he he might have been able to be there like at the very beginning and, and commented on, oh, what a terrible loss of life and war is awful or something like that to kind of plant the seeds maybe for what happens later in the episode. Even if we don't wrap back around with him, or even if he's on the bridge there when they have their you know Kirk and Spock you know laughing at the end of the episode kind of thing as yeah. as, as we do in the original series. That's the way I could I could have seen him kind of bookending everything yeah. with just some old some old country doctor common sense about the horrors of war perhaps. Yeah. But but I think you're right. They they just didn't have time for those kinds of things because even when you see Sulu, you know, when, when Kirk orders him to to just leave the system because there's a fleet and, and they're outmatched, you just, I mean, they just cut down to the planet. You just don't see him <laughs> like at all after that until like Kirk and Spock come, come back. So there isn't much room for anything on the Enterprise. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, there wasn't, they didn't do B stories back then, you know, and 60s TV. Like if this... I mean, there's a lot of story here. Like, this is this yeah. is a great... You know, we talked about uh, a few episodes back, what if old could be new again? Uh, the number which escapes me, so I apologize, guys, but <laughs> uh, back a few episodes ago, and we were talking about episodes that could turn into movies, you know. 
And this would be a good one to turn to movies because you could really expand what was going on down there. Maybe have a bigger landing party for Kirk and Spock. Yeah, have have a subplot with Sulu being in command of the Enterprise. Hey, just like in Into Darkness, there was a brief, just a brief snippet of Sulu being in command there of the ship. And uh, I, I think yeah, because there's a lot. I mean, you could see not that it's about the big fleets and about the battles, right? But you could see a little bit of you know the the Starfleet versus the Klingon fleet, and that's something I would really want to yeah. see in one of these movies. You know, just fleet battles, right? Yeah, def- I, I think you're right. They could expand it into a really interesting movie, and you could give more background on the Organians and how they came to be the way that they are, and and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, as I was rewatching this episode, I have to imagine in my mind like, oh, there's this Klingon fleet over here, and it looks like this, and this, and a Federation fleet over here that looks like this. But but yeah, it would be great just to see that. I mean, even if, of course, there's no hostilities or anything, just just seeing those. Uh, two sides facing each other would just be great to see. Well, even Core says, and like, oh, think of it above our heads in space, so the, the destiny yeah. of the next thousand years. I'm like, oh, I wish we could see it too. I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> it's funny. I, I like they yeah. unintentionally almost bring attention to the fact that we don't see it in the episode. Yeah, they're like, imagine in your mind, it's somewhere over there, but we're not going to show you what it looks like. But you mentioned something that that Core said. I think he says something like, you know, the the battle that happens will. Um, will affect the galaxy for 10,000 years or something like that. And I'm thinking, like, how could that possibly be? (laughs) Like, how could it affect things for 10,000 years? So many things can happen in that period of time. But he's (laughs) feeling like this is going to settle things once and for all. And, you know, the Klingon Empire will be supreme for thousands of years. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, I think, uh, I, I, and you know, as core and Klingons are prone to do, you know, a song was written about this, songs were sung, and, uh, you know, when War finally meets him in a sort of kill, it's just, oh, your, your confrontation with Kirk and Arcadia. It's like, well, yeah. did he tell you how that went down? Because, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did he tell you he couldn't do anything and these all-powerful beings made their weapons too hot? Probably I not. touched him, and then my hand burned up, and I had to stop touching him. Uh, did you notice, though, at the, at the very end of the episode, Core's uh, like, going to move towards the Organians and Kirk reaches to stop him he's like wait a minute uh, yeah but his hand his hand doesn't burn right because you know they're supposed to like if you touch uh, each other they're supposed to burn so come on guys that's continuity a, guys that's that's a that's a good catch unless they you know took that off when uh at the last minute when they saw it wouldn't i'm wouldn't sure matter. you could explain you're, if you really yeah i'm sure you could explain if you want but i i didn't even think about that but yeah mm-hmm. oh man well you know uh to uh to bring a little culture into our conversation here this episode title comes from the life and adventures of nicholas nickleby by charles dickens and the quote is it is an errand of mercy which brings me here. Pray, let me discharge it. And uh, that mm. is a classic literary reference from Star Trek titles, and I think it's very apt here. Right, Justin? Yeah, I mean, because, well, I mean, I think um, I think Kirk thinks that they're coming um, on this, this errand of, of mercy to help out these poor Organians who can't defend themselves, right? Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. But of course, you know, the ones who really in the end can't defend themselves are, you know, Kirk and Kor. <laughs> well, you know, uh, interesting timing with us talking about Aaron and Mercy, uh, because the Star Trek uh, official Facebook page actually uh, this past week made a post. What is your favorite Klingon episode? And they have a picture from Aaron and Mercy with John Colicos there. Uh, and so I'll ask you, Justin, is this your favorite Klingon episode? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's, it's one of my favorites, but, oh boy. I mean, there's, I, it's one of my favorites, but I mean, I guess it depends on what you define as a Klingon episode, because this one is definitely very much focused on this, you know, um, on this conflict with the, the Klingons. I, I love the trouble with tribbles, but I don't know if I'd call that as much a, I mean, a Klingon episode because it's, it's kind of focused in a bit in a different direction. Right. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of of uh, episodes that I love from from TNG and and uh, and DS9, like you know, Sins of the Father and Redemption, and um, and uh, you know, sort of Kaylas and Once More into the Breach and things like. I mean, there's a whole bunch actually. There's just I feel like there's there's so many that it would be hard to choose, and I'd have to think about it for a while. But this is definitely up there as as one of my my favorites because Core uh, is such a strong character. It's a really strong introduction of of the Klingons. Um, I love the 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 story and kind of looking at this this pacifist non interfering race and how they they uh, you know interact with the Klingons and the Federation. So it's definitely up there. I don't know if it's number one, but it's it's pretty high up for me. 
Yeah, you'd almost have to break them down by series. Like, I don't think I, yeah. ca- I can't compare Arrow to Mercy to, like, Redemption, you know? <laughs> like, you know, I just can't do yeah. it, you know? Or, or Tacking into the Wind. I mean, that's a brilliant right. episode. Oh. Like, that's, I go to that one when I think of Deep Space Nine. I go to Worf, Worf, Talking Gower, and I'll come to a head. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to do. Although, you know, it's, in thinking about it here, and we'll, we'll, we can wrap up with our, with our final thoughts here, but. I don't think, at least me personally, I don't. There is not a Klingon episode, unless you want to count Trouble of Tribbles, which I don't. Like you said, the Klingons are in it, but they're not really. It's not really a Klingon episode. Other than Trouble of Tribbles, I, I wouldn't put a, like a Klingon episode of TOS in my TOS top ten. Um, you know, I mean, there's just so many other great classics, and and for for the iconic villain of the show to not be like more represented, like I, actually, I, I would put like both Romulan episodes in my top ten. You know, I I say both. Mm-hmm. I know they're in the deadly years. Stock footage from Balance, uh, from Balance of Terror with the Bird of Prey. We don't see an actual Romulan, so there you go, guys. I know they're in three. <laughs> just a disclaimer. Uh, but yeah, Enterprise Incident and Balance of Terror, two of my all-time favorites, the um, Romulans, right? Me too, and, uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, DC Fontana herself said that, you know, they the show went more with the Klingons as, as the big bad or, you know, the, the perceived big bad because the makeup was easier, right? I mean, you yes. get some, some face paint, some... some uh, uh, some beards, you know, and you're, you're good with the Romulans, even though they did their best with like the helmets to kind of hide the, the ears, which I thought was very clever, which they reused in a mock time for Vulcans. Cause it all ties together. Cause ancient Vulcans and Romulans and all that. Yeah. Very cool. But you know, you still got to do the eyebrows. And, and, and so anyway, it's just that, that became, you know, the Klingons kind of filled that role because they're easier to make, you know, you know, armies of them. Like, like in this episode, like, like we were talking about at the very start, like, man, they, they really didn't, try very hard with some of that Klingon makeup so <laughs> that's that's true I yeah I, I did read that as well that it was just easier to do the Klingon makeup although I think it it does beg the question like when you know in later in 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 Trek I think when they had you know more of a, a budget for the makeup that they do I think it's still you see the Romulans more sparingly than than you do the the, the Klingons Right. right. I mean, they got written out of Star Trek three because Leonard Nimoy decided to do Klingons instead of Romulans. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't even in Nemesis, the Romulan movie got Remans instead. It's like, oh, yeah, he did again. So uh, but but hey, ooh, see this. Hmm, I keep running back to Discovery. I would say, hey, maybe we'll see some more Romulans in Discovery. Well, we better not. Right. If they're going to keep any kind of continuity. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think that we won't really see Romulans in uh in Discovery, because you'd have to do the kind of thing they did in Enterprise, like, there are Romulans out there, but we don't know what they look like yet. <laughs> It'd be awkward. So I don't think we'll see that. But yeah, the Klingons, I mean, really, you know, keep becoming a go-to. And for me, that's fine. I, I love, you know, Klingons and the culture and all of the characters and all of that. I think some people I've seen are kind of sick of it. And they're like, ah, oh, come on, some somebody else, Romulans, Andorians, Tellarites, something else. But but I, I love the Klingons. And uh, I... I uh, really appreciate their presence almost everywhere that you see them actually and it all started here in Aaron and mercy and all started here in this episode from 1967 what it's <laughs> a little over 50 years ago now that this episode aired indeed indeed all right justin well it's been fun talking about the first appearance of the klingons this week but if people want to keep the trek conversation going with you online man where can they find you well you can find me on twitter uh my handle is trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can also find me on Facebook, hanging around the Babel Conference. I'm sure Larry Namachek loves your Twitter handle there, Justin. So. <laughs> he did make a comment about it once that he, he, he liked the numbers in it, yeah. No, I've really enjoyed uh, seeing your, and I've you know gone back and forth with you on Twitter a lot as you're, as you're watching through TNG. Because you know, I, have, I, have, I have a special place in my heart for the first two seasons of TNG, you know, the show was good before the callers. I have a very controversial opinion. I feel like uh, seasons one and two are actually both better than season seven of TNG. You know, that's just me. But hey, that's why I host the TOS podcast, not the TNG podcast, <laughs> I guess. Right, Justin? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think there is something to be said for, for what you're saying, because as I'm I'm rewatching, I, I have a fond place for seasons one and two as well, because TNG was the kind of the first thing that I really paid attention to and went back to after I saw the the first Kelvin timeline movie and that's what really got me into it what was what was going on in the in the first couple of of seasons and there's there's a lot of great episodes I'm you know tweeting about my rewatch for season two right now and season seven is is rocky it's true there's some not so good stuff going on in there like sub rosa Well, as I said on the uh, from there to here, or from there to here, rewatch last year. You can retitle Star Trek: The Next Generation season seven, Star Trek: The Family Reunion. 
<laughs> I guess it's like every other episode is like, oh, my, well, my brother and my mom and my dad and, you know, just, ugh. Uh, there was just a, there was just a certain energy and excitement and a freshness to the first couple seasons that I felt like by the time the yeah. season seven rolled around, it got a little stale. So hey, a ba- the worst season of TNG is, is the best season of, of is better than any like you know current TV show. Well, you know within reason, but yep. <laughs> most, yep. most current TV shows, right? So I'm in no all in no way sliding in. And I think all good things forgives all. So. Oh, yeah, that, that's amazing. I mean, actually, for me, I, I do love a lot of what's going on in season one and two. But for me, the peak is is season five of, of TNG. There's five? so many okay. episodes I love in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm a three and four guy myself. So I'd say three and four kind of tie at the top for me. And then five and six are right under that. But uh, now we're just now we're just splitting hairs. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think I think they're all good. But for me, you know, five has has a lot of my favorites. It has Darmok and Ensign Rowe and the uh, finishing out redemption and um, I love Time Zero as I said on an Earl Grey episode previously but uh, and I could probably list out some more if I took a look at it well, what, what do you think about Silicon Avatar it's okay uh, see I've always see that's I've always loved that episode I'm like oh this is great you know and then you know you get online as Brandon Shea Mattel often says and you get yeah. online you're like oh this episode is the worst I'm like oh wait I love that one it's not it's not it's not the worst but I've always been like well this is alright but no it's yeah. not it's not my, one of my favorites I think it just struck me I saw it at a young age as a kid and then like you see the crystal actually come in and like you know wipe out people I'm like oh my god it's scary so, oh no that part yeah. is that part is really cool but just the episode as a whole is just kind of like it's, it's alright but that's one of the ones I'm not quite as into, but there, there's actually, like, when I've rewatched it before, there's a whole bunch in season five that I just really love. All right, well, Star Trek The Next Generation isn't the only thing we're <laughs> discussing this week on Trek FM. <laughs> Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room. It was a really great police song, for sure. <laughs> Droxine! Yeah. Yeah, I don't That's know. That's the I, one where uh, Litter Nimoy was uh, singing backup with Sting on that. Ra- yeah, I can picture Drax scene. Yeah. You don't have to put on it the scene. It doesn't Z-Night. have to be every seven years. <laughs> Standard Orbit. The inscription of this book is a quotation from David Gerald, which is something he said to me in an email. <laughs> and uh, he didn't even remember saying it. I got to, I, I met him recently and showed it to him. And he was like, oh, wow, that's a pretty good quote. I didn't know I said that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> but he said the primary philosophy in Star Trek, stripped of everything else, was love one another. I think Jesus might have said something like that once, too. The Orb. When something has lasted... 50, 60, 70 years by the time you use it, it's already overcome that obstacle of being dated. Like, you know that it's going to remain important through the years. And the fact that someone in the 24th century might still be listening to it, I think makes a lot of sense. Warp 5. So we need to hire some samurai to uh, defend us. So they go out. Uh, looking for some samurai, and they find uh, a, a a group of of um, about seven of them. Yeah, like seven samurai <laughs> who are you know maybe down on their luck. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and The Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit Patreon.com slash TrekFM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM, You'll find current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. 
We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elron. We could not do this show without you, and you make it all worthwhile every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold on to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Urban. Standard Urban.